Hey everyone, I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly and this is A Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com slash membership and use the coupon code PODCAST10 to get 10% off an annual plan. My guest this week is Sam Parr, co-founder of Hampton and before that, founder of The Hustle. In this 40-minute conversation, we discuss what Hampton is, how they're building the community, why most media companies are totally wrong when they say they have communities, and what he'd do if he was building The Hustle again today. I hope you enjoy our discussion. All right, so let's jump right in and talk about your new project, Hampton. What is it and where did the idea come from to do it? The new project, yeah, it's called Hampton. Uh, we couldn't buy Hampton.com, so it's joinhampton.com. That was the hotel chain they had it. The new project, it's a, it's a highly vetted community for founders, which basically just means it's kind of like a group therapy for CEOs, uh, but there's also um, a wider community. So basically when members sign up, we interview all of them, we vet them, and we check the revenue and all the stats that they say on the interview. And then you join and we hand curate it. So we place you into an eight-person core group that meets once a month with the facilitator. So that's kind of like the group therapy for business people uh, kind of analogy. But then we also have um, a digital community where we have hundreds of mem- members who are in there constantly asking questions. Like when the Silicon Valley Bank thing all went down, there was people like helping one another. And then we have dinners uh, throughout the country and adventures and retreats happening all the time. And so it's like a, it's like a, our take on YPO, which is an organization that's been around for 60 or 70 years. I got the idea because I had this company called The Hustle, and we owned this thing called Trends. And I, I liked it with Trends. With Trends, it was a weekly email on like interesting trends that were popping up. And we created a Facebook group as an afterthought. But the Facebook group was the best part of the product. But we only charged $300 a year. So we couldn't provide that high quality of a service. You know, we would need like, you need to charge more money in order to like do a lot of these events and things like that. And so I saw a few of the mistakes that I made with trends. And this time I really wanted to nail it. Well, so let's dig into that. Because, you know, I know trends was one of your first like community projects. How, uh, what were the mistakes that you kind of learned from that, that you you're not making with Hampton? I had a bunch of communities before that. I've had a bunch of communities, actually, but Trends was successful. I mean, it was doing many, many millions of dollars in recurring revenue when we sold it. But I, it, was a little bit, it was a little bit too broad. And so I made a mistake that a lot of people make with community as well as entrepreneurs is they charge too little money. And therefore, you need a whole lot of customers in order to make it a substantial size business. And you want it to be a substantially sized business so you can provide more services and like a better service to your customer. And we only charged $300 a year, which was dumb. And so I couldn't like provide this awesome quality service that I wanted to. And that's kind of the, the mistake we made. It was also like a fairly broad thing, which is good for the newsletter that we had. But people found I found out that they wanted the community more, and like I couldn't make it like that tailored of a group because we couldn't justify hiring all these people, and, and so I kind of screwed up with the pricing big time, and making it like pretty broad. So you mentioned YPO, which you know they're actually a nonprofit, so I was able to look up their their revenue. They did like 
$110 million in revenue back in 2020. And I don't think they've had to file their taxes like because of COVID and stuff. I don't know. So you target a somewhat similar type of audience, right? Uh, I think they might have a slightly higher requirement of revenue. For, no, I think, I think are they lower. Well, their requirements vary chapter by chapter, city by city. So okay. sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's higher. They also have a lot of members who aren't necessarily the CEOs or the founders. Like in our group, you can't be given a business. In their group, you can. It's okay if you inherit a company or inherit different things. But yeah, there are differences. But sorry, go ahead with your question. No, I mean my my broad question is like, how do you match up with YPO, and what's the differentiator for Hampton compared to YPO? Like, why does someone join you versus YPO? Yeah, and what's interesting is a lot of people know YPO. You don't even know some of the bigger players in the space. So there's Vistage, which sold recently for $1.5 billion, and they do like three, $400 million a year in revenue, and they're, they do over $100 million a year in profit. So there's them. Uh, Chief got pretty big pretty fast, so they're doing north of $100 million in revenue. There's actually a bunch more businesses in the space. Um, Informa owns a handful of these community businesses that are doing huge numbers. So it's a pretty big space. The difference between us and YPO, YPO is cool. My co-founder is part of YPO as well, is that it's a much older audience. It's also like you'll meet people who like inherited like eight apartment buildings in South Florida who are part of YPO. And those people need a space, but we're probably not for them. Our folks are mostly digital first. Definitely a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people on Hacker News, a lot of people who live in New York, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, some of the bigger cities. We also have tons of people. Like we have a guy in Kentucky that has a software company that you've never heard of that he bootstrapped to $8 million a year in revenue. And so we have like a lot of people like that all over the country, but it's a digital first uh, approach. So like it's, you know, sometimes we say tech companies, but that's like, would you call Casper a tech company? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but like you would to your, your mom, if you're describing it to your mom. And so like, in that regard, it's tech companies, but not all hard tech, but it's all digital first, mostly. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess going back to your concept around, it's almost like therapy for founders, uh, a person who, uh, inherited eight buildings down in Miami is not going to need the same sort of like team support conversation as someone who's building a company from the scratch. It's just a yeah. different need. And look, we're going to eventually, I just have like this wedge into the founder market and CEO market. We're going to expand. I mean, we haven't confirmed that we're going to do this, but very likely we're going to likely have other titles. So CTO, CFO, who knows what titles we'll have, but we're going to like expand to other titles. But we wanted it so to like where, like when I was running my company, The Hustle, I was lonely, man. Like there were so many nights where I was with my wife and I would be laying on the floor and I'm like, I'm going to quit. This sucks. I can't figure this out. I'm so sad. Uh, and then there's other days I was like super pumped where I was thought we were going to take over the world. But it's like pretty lonely because you have to like look cool and calm to your employees and because that fear spreads. But there's stuff like you don't even know. Like let's say you got to lay people off or let's say you're selling your company. Who are you going to ask? I'm like, hey, how do I like maneuver this so I don't look desperate when I'm selling my company? What's the appropriate rate, way to lay people off that's respectful, but also like you don't get like you don't give too much severance, or, but you give the right amount of severance, things like that. Like you can't tweet about that. And so I had a group, like I formed my own uh, group, and it was like life changing. And so we just kind of wanted to make it so other people could have these types of group because when you have access to people, which I had, because so we, we had these events called HustleCon, we would get the founders of like WeWork away casper all these like amazing companies and i would sit backstage and i was like way you know insignificant compared to them and i would just listen and i'm like man there's not like an illuminati like that's not real but like 
seeing how the big dogs talk, like this is like a leg up and like it definitely matters a bit who you know and also having others who have been there done that helps so much emotionally and strategically. So let's dig into the business. Uh, and I've got a few questions here. One, walk me through the business model. How much does it cost? How, you know, what's the term of the, I assume it's a subscription. Like walk me through the business model. It's very simple right now. $7,500 for one year. And, um, that's all it is. It's a very simple business model at the moment. We pay for, we have an eight, like a headquarters staff who like interviews everyone. We have like a concierge. So someone on staff who like talks to every member and a member can like message that person and be like, Hey, I'm struggling with the Silicon Valley bank thing. Can you introduce me to five people who are also struggling so I could help figure this out? Or I need to be introduced to someone who could do X, Y, and Z. Can you help? So we have a concierge and we have people interviewing all the potential members. We have a CEO, we have like the HQ staff. And then we also have our facilitators who we, who we pay a lot of money for, uh, and that's our biggest cost. And so, um, and then it's $8,500 a year. Maybe eventually we'll have like ads or sponsors or something like that for the dinners. But right now it's a very, very, very simple, straightforward business model. And so I want to understand a little bit more about these facilitators. Cause you say they're the most expensive part. Who, like, who are they, right? Who, what, what is the makeup of a good facilitator, that you would hire them and pay them what seems like a lot of money to, to do this. It's a ton of money. It's basically, I don't know if you've ever had like an executive coach, but I had an executive coach before. It was like 50 grand a year. And so these people are expensive. They're basically glorified uh, therapists, but very glorified. Like it's, it's hard to like deal with some of these problems. And a good facilitator, we used to call them coaches and then we call them facilitators because we would train them to guide a conversation and they can participate in the conversation because a lot of them are like ex-entrepreneurs. So people like my uh, facilitator is this woman named Ashley who had a nine-figure exit and she'll guide the conversation and she'll also participate. But a lot of times what they'll, they're almost like in one sense, like content curators, like a podcast host. So they have to figure out who's got the interesting content, but they're also like, oh, hey, this particular person is having a huge problem. That's actually a big problem. Like they're going about to sell and or and their board's trying to block it. I know that that's a big problem because I know about business. We need to focus on that today. And so they do things like that where they like do logistical stuff, like making sure everyone's there, but also like knowing which content and which person's problem is important. And and then the therapist part is like pulling that out of them and then getting everyone else to like give opinions on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. It's obviously somebody. It's it's a unique type of person who's able to do that. So. And a founder is not going to take seriously someone who hasn't at least been in their shoes a little bit. I, I think sure. that's wrong, actually. Really? I, I, I thought that was the case. I thought that was the case. And I was like that, too. And then I started meeting with some of the facilitators. And I'm like, man, a really good facilitator, sometimes you don't even know that they're there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need necessarily a podcast host to know all about business in order to get good interviews. Um, sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't. But... Like not necessarily, uh, it helps in a lot of cases, but not always. And so, what's the technology that you're using to power this? Is it all custom built, or did you uh, piece it together from other things? So um, we use a lot of Zoom, and then we built our own portal using Bubble. So my co-founder Joe is like kind of our CTO, s- s- chief product officer, and using him and a couple devs, we built like some awesome technology. And uh, so we have a portal where you can log in and you can see on a map where all the members are. You can see like a calendar so you know which events are upcoming. You can scroll through and look at all the members and, and get introductions to them. So it's, it's yeah, we've got some good tech, but I wouldn't 
exactly say it's a tech company, but we built we built a lot of good stuff. Built what you needed to get the thing going, dude. Listen to this: we got to hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in revenue with just a type form and no website. So the first six, uh, so we started working on it kind of in June. We got our first customers in July. We hit seven figures in the first month. And it was no website, just a type form. And me and Joe, my partner, would get on the phone with every single person to vet them, to hear them out. And then we just used HubSpot because I get a free HubSpot subscription to send them emails and to like place them into groups. And it was all done by hand. So there was no technology at first, but we had seven figures in revenue before we even had a website. I think this is something that you kind of push on. Uh, I think I saw you tweet the other day about this. Before you worry about like buying a fancy domain name or building a fancy website, just like get someone to pay you. Just get someone yeah. to pay you. And that's kind of what you did here. Yeah. And so we did a few things here. Partially, it was driven by ego because I wanted to prove that I can do it. And partially, it was practicality, which was we didn't tell anyone that we were launching this. So we launched on March 28th, like publicly telling the world about it. But prior to then, we've built a great business without without messaging or without like talking about it publicly because I wanted to prove that we can do it. And also, yeah, we didn't have like a fancy... Our domain name now is joinhampton.com. Before it was like hampton.squarespace.com. That was like our first website, but it wasn't really a site. It was just like a placeholder for the type form. Um, but yeah, we did it all just with Zoom and me calling them on their phone and then sending a Stripe link. All right, so you you've got so you got you had people paying you. You said you're getting to hundreds of thousands in monthly revenue. Now it's your big public launch. At your big public launch, though, how many paying members do you have? Like, how much money is Hampton making thus far? Um, I don't even know if I want to say exactly. We uh, we have um over three hundred members, so we have okay. uh, uh hundreds of members. Um, I think I, mean, I can do the math though. Like eighty five hundred times three hundred, you know, that's a couple million bucks in ARR if it's if everyone's paying book. Yeah, we don't give discounts. Then the math's very easy. The math's very easy. Um, I think that will be we're gonna get north of a thousand members. I think before the year's over. Um, All right, which is an eight and a half million run rate. Yeah, and I think um, I think we'll have a hundred million dollar a year business. I think by year five, I, I think I think we can get ten thousand people to join. I don't know if it's going to be like three thousand founders, three thousand CFOs, three thousand CTOs. I don't know exactly what the breakdown is going to be, but it's going to be a very substantially. It's going to be a large business. I, I I think. Yeah, I want to come back to the to the scale of it because I you know I uh, I wrote a piece uh, a couple weeks ago about curation of communities and and all that. And I want to come back to that, but. I want to dig in on this notion of um, these monthly core groups, and you know, you you on the site you've got the Hampton Five, which is like the five benefits that you get as 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 a member. And one of them is these monthly core groups, which we've talked about, which is eight founders, experienced executive facilitator. What, in your opinion, we talked about the facilitator, but what makes a good strong core group? Like, what are you looking for when you kind of start to form these people together? So we match people by traction and then by industry and then by region. So we want uh, so that kind of like figures out people's experience level, if they have similar problems, and then industry is important because sometimes people will be talking about like they're having an issues with their sales team. But then like if you're a consumer good company, you maybe don't have a sales team. So we want to make sure that it's uh, it, it's a B two B or B two C. 
So that's important. Another good thing with the group is vulnerability. So some people, particularly like men, they're not used to therapy. And so they're like, I don't know how to talk about this stuff. And then they start talking about it. And we have so many people who cry in the meetings and they're like, they're like having all these revelations. And it's like, yeah, man, this is what therapy is. Like, it's pretty wild. And so you have to be vulnerable. Um, there's a huge component of confidentiality. So we make everyone sign a confidentiality agreement. And if you break that, you're out. Um, so confidentiality, vulnerability, the ability to give. So like people will, we do this thing where people do business breakdowns once every session. So someone will, will like create this document. And so here's exactly how our business works. Um, here's the strengths, the weaknesses that they do like a SWOT analysis of the company and they explain all their financials. Um, a lot of times they'll do like a, a portfolio break, a portfolio breakdown of their net worth and where all their money is. And so we talk about these like really confidential stuff. So confidentiality is important, vulnerability, transparency, and then like giving to the community. So you're like constantly saying, here's my experience. So other people can learn from it. Um, cause the idea here is like, a lot of businesses make the same mistakes over and over again. And a lot of CEOs make the same mistakes that other people have already made. So it's like, well, instead of making that particular mistake, just learn from them and, and don't do it and just do what works. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like the goal. So you have to be able to share a lot of information. How do you, so, you know, someone joins a group, how do you ensure that there's like, they, they stay consistently active? Because obviously if people start to fall off from the group, the rest of the group suffers. So how do you ensure that that eight person unit is consistently all engaged? So we have a person on the team who just talks to the facilitators constantly. And so after every meeting, they'll do a catch up with them and figure out what's going on. How's the group? What do you need to make this more cohesive? And then we also uh, get survey results from the attendees after each meeting. And they let us know if, how's the uh, coach doing? How's the members doing? Who's lacking? And so like we're it's like it's like it's like a school and we're the principal. So like we like know what's going on. So we talked a little bit about the type of members you're looking for and that these groups are by industry, where they are in their business, by their geography. But when somebody wants to join, how are you – is it like an open rolling basis of people joining Hampton or do you like wait until you've reached, all right, we've got eight people who fit the right profile. Now we'll let all eight in at once. We – so they do we, – we turn down 90% of people who apply. So we turn down most people who apply. We interview a whole bunch of people, and then we still turn down more people. And then we um, say, all right, we think you're a good fit. You may join. And then they sign up. And then we like, well, I mean, we have enough customers coming in. So there's like groups forming at any given time that might fit that person's um, fit that person's wants and needs. And sometimes we'll have to wait 30 days until we, until we place them. So I know that you've been kind of doing this in what we'll call it beta or in, in, in not beta in, stealth, not beta, but, but stealth. not even stealth. Look, I've, I've got a really big audience and I just haven't talked about it one time. Right. So what is going to be the marketing plan going forward though? Is it going to be, Hey, you know me as Sam Parr. So sign up for this. Or are you going to try to distance yourself a little bit from this? This company is not the Sam Parr show. So I have hired a CEO who's awesome. They're, they run they run the business. I'm um, a customer and I'm in the core group. Uh, I mean, I have my own group, but we're going to use my name for sure to get the brand out there. But if you go to the website, I don't even th you'll see a picture of me, but that's just like at a core group dinner. But no, like my name is not the main factor on here. I think I think 
my name will get us the first one to 3,000 customers, but then it's very easily going to outgrow me, just like the hustle did. That's why we hired a CEO, because we're like, this is definitely going to outgrow both my partner and I. And so we needed someone who could ha- manage it. But uh, no, it's not going to be the Sam Par show, that's for sure. And so let's talk a little bit about these. There's two other features. One, you talked about the events and then also the exclusive perks. I know right now the business model is purely subscriptions, but these events, like what size are you thinking about? Are you thinking that it's like a hundred people together? Are you thinking it's like big trade show type thing? Like maybe not with booths and all that, but like, what are you thinking from a size perspective? So we have a couple of different types of events. The first one that we do, we call them adventures. So for example, uh, like 15 members are doing a rally car class together uh, in, uh, this month or next month. And so they're coming down to Texas and we rented out this like track and it's like a race car lesson. And so there's like eight or 10 or 15, I forget the exact number doing that tonight. It's Friday right now. There's a dinner that I'm going to go to and there's going to be probably 12 people there. Um, that's, so we have adventures where we go, like we've gone fishing, we've gone, um, to rally class where we do all types of stuff. And then anyone, anyone can sign up, although we typically like invite certain people. So it's curated. The second thing is retreats. So that's, uh, usually two or three core groups together doing a retreat. And so we'll, we'll get like 24 people who have similar size businesses or in similar size core groups. They're going to do their retreat together. Then we have dinners and cocktail parties. And those are typically, that's like what I'm going to tonight. We have um, chairs in each city and they're like organizing these. So like there was one in Chicago the other day and I think maybe 10 people came. We had one during South by Southwest and we had 50 people who came. And so uh, we do things like that. And then eventually we're going to have a conference. I want to go back to the team for a second because in many respects, it seems like a legitimately mature business from like a, what you bring to the table, but you're only, you said you started in June. Like, yeah, we, we, dude, we, we move fast. That's my thing. My partner, Joe and I, Joe's the only person I've ever worked with where I'm like, man, you're moving too fast. I, I can't <laughs> keep up. We move, we move quickly. So like how much money did it cost to start this thing? Like, are there investors or is this just you and Joe? Like, no, we own it all. And wow. you know, we're, we are both fortunate to have exits and we committed to not raising any money. You know, I'm not a type of person who says never says never, but I would say there's a very, 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 very high likelihood that we never raise money for this and we self fund it, and that's our goal. I mean, that makes at eighty five hundred dollars a person. You know, that seems you you can give them really good value, and I think that kind of goes to your point about operators not charging enough. If you charge enough, you can give good value and not need to go outside for so much money. I think we're underpriced. Vistage charges twenty five thousand a year. Um, YPO, I, they, their pricing determines, uh, I, th- I think it's determined by which city you're in, and sometimes it's 15 grand a year. So I think that 8,500 is like actually middle in terms of pricing. Um, and I was, af- and I'm not going to like act tough. I'm bad at pricing, and I um, was afraid to charge that at first. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's a lot of money. We have to make this like tip top, the best service mm-hmm. that we could ever pr- provide. And then we charged it and we started looking at the, the results and the feedback and people are like, this is amazing. And I was like, all right, we've nailed it so far. So what are the, if you got your first paying customer in, in July, it's now end of March, what are the be- what are the metrics you're looking for when you start thinking about retention, right? Like you, you're going to want them to pay again next year. So what 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 are you looking for specifically to know that you have like a business that's definitely going to repeat? 
It's scary. I don't know. Uh, we I don't have a lot of data. Um, I just like talk to our customers. I'm in our community like every single day, just talking like, "Hey, how are you? What can we? Do? Is there anything I can do today to improve your service?" So just talking to them constantly. We have results every single um, day from people because we have core groups happening all the time, and we're just like looking at like what did they rank it out of ten, and if someone has a bad experience, anything below like an eight we message them and be like, Hey, what happened? Why, why was this not good? Um, and then we like act really quickly in order to make it awesome. And so right now it's just very, very like customer service heavy in order to make it great. And that's, I mean, we're not going to know until I guess June and July, if it's, if that works, which no, is scary. Sure. That's very scary. Uh, yeah. but yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. So your big statement, I think it's, uh, what got me excited to talk to you was this is going to be a uh, multi hundreds of millions in revenue. I think Uh, it can. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, the, 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 everything is there um, for us, but we could screw it up. Sure. But let's assume that you don't screw it up and you'll know, you'll know pretty quickly whether you are or aren't right. If you're renew, if your retention rate is 10%, you know, you've got a failed product. If your retention rates 90, 95%, you know, you've got a good product. Right. And like, yeah, but keep in mind, Dude, a lot of these companies that are in the space that are, have done well have been around, like Vistage has been around, I think, since the 50s. EO has been around since the 50s or 60s. When is YPO launched? I think also I think in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, like decades. Yeah. So, you know, it might take us some time to like truly hone it in, but like they've done a good job of creating a, a, a playbook for us. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be big. So, this is where I think you know curation kind of comes into the conversation because on the website you say Hampton is a private, highly vetted community. But to get to 120, 100 plus million dollars, you need 12, 13,000 members. How can you have a highly vetted private community while also letting in tens of thousands of people? At some point, does it not feel exclusive? Well, that's why I suggested those different job titles. So right now for the founder community, we're limiting it to 1,000 people. Um, maybe we'll expand that to 2000. I'm not sure. We don't have a plan. All we've said is let's get to a thousand and then we'll reassess what we want to do. But that's why I think we'll potentially go after new job titles in order to keep it exclusive. And you could do a bunch of things. Like there are ways to make it. So like the CTO group has no idea that the CEO group exists. Like there's no mm-hmm. intermingling. And so I think that that's what we could do. Um, I've talked to a bunch of people at Chief, at Vistage, and they've expressed, I think Chief has 25,000 members. Sometimes people say it doesn't feel exclusive anymore. Exclusive anymore. A lot of people have said that their community is still like popping and awesome. So I think there are ways to solve for that. I actually don't know what those ways are yet, um, but I don't have to solve for it today. But I, I have some guesses. But And one of those guesses is different job titles. Why did you decide to do this next? You could have done anything after the hustle. Why this? Because I had a group like this and it changed my life. My partner and I, Joe, he has had multiple nine-figure exits and we would talk every day and like I know everything about relationship issues if he's having any in his marriage with his co or with his uh, old co-founder. Like we know our portfolios, like we know each other's net worth. We know like I would trust him with my bank account pin and like I, when I had a person who I could trust and when I was selling my company or when I was thinking of proposing to my wife, when I was um, not sure if I could be the CEO of the company, having someone to turn to who I knew had been there and done that and who I trusted with my life, 
it changed the game for me. And so I just, and I felt that it was a little bit unfair that if you're a guy in Iowa, you know, in Des Moines and you have this like killer business making 20 million a year, you're kind of like a freak in your town maybe. And I wanted to make it so others could do that. Um, and that's like the mission, but like also it's dope. It's awesome. I get to hang out with badass people all the time. Like we have a guy in the community who took a company public and like just being, I'm inspired by that person. And I get to, that's my, I, I make money hanging out with him. And so that's kind of the dream. What is a question I should have asked you about Hampton that I didn't ask you? What would make my readers and listeners smarter about communities? Probably why more people aren't doing this and also where people are failing in community. I think that I've got very strong opinions about community and the vast majority of everyone in the quote community game, I think is using the word community when they should be using the word audience. I agree. There's like a massive difference. Like the hustle, we had an audience that had community components. Morning Brew, you guys have an audience with some community attributes, but like um, the the difference between the two is like quit quit creating content at Morning Brew and tell me, are you going to grow? I bet you, you won't. And that is proof that you have an audience. With a community, it's many-to-many. Audience, one-to-many. Both are awesome. Both serve a great purpose. I think community is more valuable, and I think community is harder to build. Um, but once you nail it, it lasts, I think. Well, no, a media brand could last like a long hundreds of years, like at New York Times. But a community can last a much longer time, and you're more so nurturing it as opposed to creating it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know how to do that. I think they fail because they don't treat people like people like they'll treat their friends differently than their customers. And that's not always the right approach. They use like the two, they're too professional a lot of times with them. Yeah. Um, and like a good community kind of has like attributes of a cult. Like you have like some rituals, you have like a clear leader, you have like an us versus them mentality. You have like shared experiences, things like that. And it's pretty hard to pull off, but it's, there's definitely a playbook. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people, particularly in your world, my old world media, um, they use the word community like so poorly. I, I, uh, I've I've softly developed a framework for deciding whether something is or isn't a community. Um, if you're pushing something to someone, that's an audience. It's not a community. If somebody can reply to you, and I think this is like the email thing, you've got a one-to-one relationship at least. So it's a little bit of a community. It has really community the, attributes. Right. But the only way something is a community is if you're connecting people together. Yeah. If you're, if you're connecting to events are, are natural communities, right? Once you have a, an events business, this is why I think, especially in the B2B world where I come from, events are such a natural thing, right? We use our content to build an audience and then we bring that audience together at our community events, which we just happen to charge a lot of money for. Uh, and that's kind of how I think about these communities. It a community like needs a community needs a physical space, not exactly physical, but it could be digital. But you know what I mean. It needs like a time and a place that people communicate. Otherwise, that's not really a community. And so a lot of people forget that. And they, dude, I've got so much to say about the media world because I love it and I hate it at the same time. And you know, I have a lo- I think everyone in the in that world does. It's a love hate relationship. Yep. But they use this word community. It's like stop trying to act like you are when you aren't and it's not insulting to not have a community and it's also like it's not necessarily good or bad it just it is what it is and so embrace that this is an audience this is not a community um because they aren't the same and i think that that terminology it sounds like i'm being nitpicky but i actually think it matters uh because it kind of dictates the strategy that you use when doing this stuff 
It absolutely matters. Call it what it is and don't get distracted. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the hustle because I'm sure you've beaten the ever-living daylights out of this topic. Dude, I would love to talk about media with you, though. I've never talked to people who have actually been there, done that. And, like, you know, me, Austin, Alex, the folks at The Skim, and then our teams, we were all somewhat separately creating something that we – none of us invented this thing, but we are like, this new-ish wave that was kind of pioneering it. And it's really cool that all – there's only, like, hundreds of us, if you look at all of our employees – and the people who like were really part of it that were actually innovating and creating this thing. So I love talking about it, at, at least with the very few people who know what they're talking about, like you. Well, so let's do a little thought experiment. It's March 2023 when we're recording this episode. If you had to start the hustle over today, would you? And do you even think it could work? Yes and yes. Um I'm not going to hate on you for asking that, but people, because your intentions are different, but on our podcast, people constantly ask me, well, if you were going to start over, what would you do? And really what they want is like, just tell me how to make money. And that's a fine question, but just say that. But they say that all the time. They're looking for like, just tell me like to go into AI or crypto. And I'm like, yeah, I would start the exact same thing and I would do it almost the same way. I think it's harder now, Mm -hmm. but it does work. And the proof that it works is Sean, the co-host on my pod he did the same thing and he had a a nice exit in six months. So could I start the hustle again? This, uh, yeah, I could, I probably would have had, I mean, I would have like changed some things, but in general, it mostly would have been the same. Now it's definitely harder. I don't know how much it costs. Like we grew to a hundred thousand, um, subscribers in the first year, just through like me blogging. And then after that, we did paid marketing. And then after that, we did like the whole referral scheme that like all of us did where it's like merch. And that was somewhat novel-y. So it kind of caught on. So now you'd have to come up with like a new shtick, like a new fun thing. But in general, yeah, it would work again if you just did the same thing. But then after like 100,000, then we started doing paid marketing. And back then on Facebook, I'm saying it like it was forever ago. It was like five years ago, four years ago. That is forever ago on the internet. (laughs) I know. But even (laughs) even like three years ago, maybe when I was running the company, I think we are buying customers for $1.50 to $2.50 on Facebook. I don't know what it is now, but I bet you it's a lot more. Maybe it's not because of the economy right now. But like for a minute, I heard people saying it was like $5, 6 $7. And that's like prohibitively expensive. It's gotten a lot more expensive. Um, I run the growth team at, uh, at Morning Brew, so I know what we're spending on our CACs. Uh, it has unfortunately gotten more expensive. Like um, how, much is it, how much does it cost to get a B2B customer? Oh, B2B is different, right? Because B2B, I can monetize so much more. Um, but how much? We're, we sometimes spend 10 bucks to acquire a B2B subscriber. That's crazy. So back yeah, when I was but running, I monetize it, like it up to like $45 um, is my... Per year? Uh, over an 18-month period, I make 45 50 bucks. So... You know, from that perspective, it, I'm I'm comfortable with that payback period because they stay super engaged, they stay super retained. Plus, then they might refer people, and then it, like it it really starts to pay off. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a lot harder. But it's interesting, you know, what Sean did with with Milk Road. Yeah, if I was starting a newsletter today, I would exactly do it exactly what he did. Right, uh, pick a super niche topic. Obviously, like, I come from the crypto space, so like that would have been that that made sense. But even any any niche topic, let's. I don't know. I think I own like the domain name like geneticsreview.com, right? Like Which would like, kill, oh, by the way. Right, it would. Um, and go super niche. But I would never in 2023 try to build the daily newsletter at Morning Brew. Never no, in a million years. It, it would be hard. So like Morning Brew and The Hustle, 
at the time we didn't think it was at the time we thought it was niche but like i was like well business insider probably gets like 80 million views a month and it's mostly tech so like it's it's big enough but like it's it's I think the hustle. We actually had more of a niche thing. You guys are uh, business news. We were one niche down, maybe, which is like an entrepreneurial or mm-hmm. tech slant kind of. But yeah, like doing a daily, it would be very, very, very hard to start now. But when we started, I pitched. I got us to like forty grand a month in ad revenue, and when I was pitching people. They didn't know what the hell, like how to price ads in a newsletter. Now it's like way easier. Like we were just like, I remember I just set a number like Wealthfront was my first client. And they're like, how much to charge? And I'm like, I don't know, man. How about you just give me two grand and you just tell me if that worked for you. And like, I mean, we were just making it up. And I, I, I and also when we launched, I told this executive, I'll tell you off the air who it was, who runs a huge media company. And he was like, newsletter, that's such a small, stupid idea. There's no way this will make more than a million dollars a year. And I remember, like, it bothered me. I was so bummed. I was like, oh, man, is this really that small of an idea? And now, like, we all know that's not true. But if I had to start over again, I probably would start niche. I remember when Morning Brew launched different verticals. I thought that was a bad idea. And looking back, that was actually a smart idea if you wanted to go further down the ad business, which is uh, a pain in the butt, but also worth it, depending on what your skills are. But anyway, going niche is would be better and that's what i would do differently i also would have created so at the hustle we had the hustle the daily thing and then we had trends instead of trends i would have done a much higher i would have done trends but like 30 grand a year and done it like a far more tailored high-end service and i think that that would be killer and i would have launched that way sooner into the business like a politico pro yeah 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 i don't know entirely how their operation works but yeah it sounds like it or uh, my friend jason at uh you know jason at um Blockworks, uh-huh. uh, they have like a subscription service. So I, I would have created a higher end community that had like data um, earlier on, and I would have charged more. But when I started the company, I was twenty five, so like I didn't even know that like people paid for that. And now I do. Isn't there a joke that like the first company people start as a consumer company, and the second company they start as a B two B company because they realize just how much more money is in B two B? Yeah, there's so much more money. Um, and it's easier because they'll tell you what they want. And whereas a consumer, they don't know what they want. And you just got to invent something and hope they want it. But uh, yeah, I would have done some things differently for sure. But like, um, I, I love I love the newsletter space. I still think it's awesome. I mean, I love the newsletter space too. And I don't, you know, but I also get paid to say that, I guess, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's pretty like, it's. I think it's rewarding um, to create something and you get feedback like every single day or every week, I think it's awesome. And um, so I like the newsletter space. I think that like the biggest innovation in email lately was like 20 years ago when Google created the promo inbox. So it was like, as long as they're slow to innovate, there's going to be all types of cool opportunity in the space. And then when they finally do innovate and change it, then we'll see new opportunities. But like, it ain't changing. Like the, the shit that me and you and Austin and Alex did, it's like not going to go away. Like maybe some tactics will change, but the strategies won't. So you sold the hustle to HubSpot, and even if I asked, you wouldn't tell me how much you sold it for. Um, but well, I'll say it was a good exit. And also keep in mind when we sold, the stock price like three xed over like six months. Was so it mostly like, stock? 
No, there was a lot of cash, and then I got a whole lot of HubSpot stock, and then that lot of Hub, HubSpot stock turned into a whole lot, you know, three x. Yeah, and then and then it went back down to not, you know, it went back to down to normal. Yeah. So, but I'm still very very bullish on HubSpot. Um, I love that company. I think it's a really good company, and so I don't intend to sell any shares anyway. So, you sold. What was the process like? Like, did you? Did you seek them out? Did they seek you out? Like, at what point did like was like how did that all happen? How did it all come together? They sent me a cold email. This guy named James sent me this cold email in October, and he said, "Hey, I want to partner with you." And I said, and I looked him up on LinkedIn, and he like worked in the M and A department. And I and I replied, I was in a bad mood, but like I had been through this enough that I wanted to cut to the point. And I go, I don't know what partner means. Just tell me, are you wanting to buy me or not? If yes, we can move faster. And he goes. Yeah, I want to buy you. And then I replied and I go, great. Here's a list of 10 reasons why you don't want to buy us. And I listed up like all the things that they could potentially find that like would stink. stink. And he goes, thanks. None of these are deal breakers. And I go, awesome. Let's talk. And um, uh, I always thought it would make sense for like at the time when we worked before we knew it was like not great. I was like a WeWork or a LinkedIn should buy us. And we had a lot of interest from media companies, but I didn't want to sell to a media company because I thought it would be way better to monetize elsewhere. And so uh, when they hollered at us, I was like, oh, I forgot about HubSpot. I always thought Salesforce should have done it. But hell yeah, you guys are open-minded. And they've been really great about it. They've been very open-minded. And it's been a wonderful deal for everyone. Was there anything you would have done differently now that you have sold your first company? I made the biggest mistake ever, which is I threw out the first number. (laughs) So that was a big mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish – so I didn't have a lot of money. Um, I didn't have any money when I started the company. Like the only regret that I have is, and this is something I can't address, so it's not truly a regret, is I wish I would have not needed an exit in order to make money and been able to own it for forever. Like a newsletter is awesome to own for forever. But when you're like poor, like I was, and you're young and just getting started, uh, you kind of need an exit in order to like kind of quote make it. But I wish I didn't have to have that. I wish I didn't have to sell. I guess I didn't have to, but you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to end with the same two questions that I ask every operator that comes on the show. First, what is a mistake that you've made in your career that you wish you hadn't, and what did you learn from it? Um, when I started the company, I was, you know, in my twenties, and like now I'm in my thirties, and I have a slightly more evolved world v- worldview. And I wish I was a little less dogmatic early on and a little bit more open minded uh, because it kind of screwed up my culture. And so the people who I hired early on all represented the 20 something year old me. Whereas as I got a little bit older um, and my ideals changed, I was kind of screwed. And so I like kind of screwed up my own culture. Um, what else? I wish I would have bootstrapped the whole thing. Like I gave equity early on to some people. I wish I just would have owned 100% of it and paid more in salaries uh, so I could own it for forever. Because the second you give out a little bit of equity, you owe it to them and everyone else in order to have a return. And I wish I was like, oh, screw returns. I don't care about that. Let's just make this awesome. So I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have um, kind of enjoyed like the non-scalable, like hand-to-hand combat stuff a bit more. And I didn't realize, like I used to read like Paul Graham and like I lived in San Francisco when I started. I was like, oh, you just got to get big. Who cares? When it's like, no, you should have. we should have been like sending handwritten letters or we should have like been doing a lot of that stuff or we should have been doing these small like 100-person events versus like a 3,000-person hustle con. Like I, I wish I would have like, I should have done that a little bit better earlier on. And second, what is some advice that you would give operators looking to grow their media or community businesses? 
don't treat people like they're one human being from nine to five and then another human being from five to midnight. Like think of someone as a holistic person and don't be afraid to like sometimes have typos or um, just do normal. Like when I'm talking to my friends or a coworker, I'm respectful and I'm courteous and professional, but like I make jokes and I have fun with them. And I think that a lot of people like treat the soup the suit customer is one way. And then like the evening person has another way. And I, and I actually think that you should be a holistic person. I think CB insights, uh, is, uh, Anon is a member of Hampton. And, uh, he, that's like a good way. I mean, he sells to like banks and stuff. It's like the most like uptight group there is, but then and, ends his emails with, I love you. Yeah. And he's like fun. And he, and like their tagline for a minute was like, without data, you're just an idiot with an opinion. And like they do like this fun stuff, but like they're very respectable. And I think that more people should do stuff like that because I think that in order to stand out from the crowd, you got to be, you know, silly sometimes or whatever it is to get an emotion out of someone. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe and give it a five star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com. Each Tuesday, I analyze the latest media news, and on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.